that our uh, service out long song lyrics for today are available in the YouVersion Bible app. You can just get in the app there, search under events, and find us Linworth Road Church this morning. Uh, let's stand and let's, uh, let's worship together this morning.
celebration you know but I, I know a lot of our hearts are really heavy uh, of course happy to do it you know but uh, you know just you know a lot of things getting canceled people we can't see and so it's it's going to be that my vision next um, you know it's a song I, I love just thinking about it like this you know this song's been around you know, a couple hundred years or so you know think of all the believers who have sung this song you know, we get to join in them with, together and just sing these words again. So as we sing, let's just make this uh, our anthem for the new year, that we just keep our eyes focused on Christ. Um, because, you know, Christ always wins the battle. And so let's uh, continue to sing together.
that's our prayer this morning, that you would continue to be our vision, Lord. Thank you for being a wonderful God who's always in charge, who's always in control, Lord. I know sometimes it can be hard to trust you. Lord, I just pray this morning that we would trust you just a little bit more with our hearts and our lives this morning, Lord. Even if we've been faithfully following you for our whole lives, Lord, pray that we would find that courage to trust you just a little bit more this morning. Thank you for being a great, wonderful God. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Linworth. And uh, a happy new year to you. And thanks, guys. Glad to see you. Glad that you can make it out here this morning. And um, especially if there's uh, anybody, this is your first time visiting, and uh, we really appreciate you being here. And uh, we just want to encourage you, if this is your first Sunday, we have a, something called a Connect card. It's right in front of you. You can uh, go ahead and grab that, begin filling that out. And if you fill that out and check first time visitor on there, we want to ask you to stop by our welcome desk. We have a little gift bag for you. We got a coffee mug in there um, and some information about the church. And so we'd love to give that to you. And just a big shout out to those of you that are watching online this morning. I would uh, believe probably there's a few more watching online this morning than usual, but uh, glad that you are joining us. You can also find that connect card, by the way, uh, in the Bible app. And um, really encourage you, uh, everybody, if there is a prayer request that you have, something that's uh, that you'd like for us to pray about. We uh, get these prayer requests each week. The elders pray over them. And uh, so we'd love for you to go ahead and communicate with us on that. Um, we have just a few announcements this morning. The first one uh, is about the men's breakfast and due to supply chain and COVID issues, we're postponing it. <laughs> Literally, the people that were going to be a part of it are not available, so which will be a little bit of a theme here. But um, anyways, we're gonna reschedule that, so that uh, we'll get you information on that uh, coming up soon. The next one is called Save the, or Save the Date for EHS. You're going like, what is EHS? Well, that stands for Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And you've probably heard little bits and pieces, perhaps, uh, about this, but it is a, an important discipleship program that we're going to be walking into um, as a church and what we're going to do is we're going to give you a full introduction of emotionally healthy spirituality next week. And so you can, uh, you'll be able to, to hear about it, what it's about, our heart behind it, and the reason why we're doing it. So it's going to be offered during the third week of February. We almost have nailed down a date for that week, but we're not 100% sure yet. But we will get that information by next week for you. Um, and then finally, knowing the Bible class, uh, Corey Bogger, um uh, periodically teaches a Bible class here uh, at the church, and that it's going to be on Monday nights, January 10th through the 16th, and it's from 7 to 9 in the Fellowship Hall. Um, I think the best way to, I'm not, really, I'm not really sure the best way to, to introduce this in the sense that if you go here uh, to that class, you will learn so much. It's like sitting in a, uh, a Bible class almost in college, yet at a, at, a, at a pace and a point where you're going to understand it. So really want to encourage you, if you've never uh, taken a Bible class, that this would be one for you to take. He's going to be going through the book of Luke. And so you can register. The information is in the Bible app. Uh, make sure you do register so he knows how many will be coming. So I think that's it. And uh, so Chris, just come on up and uh, we'll see what you're going to talk about this morning. 
Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome. I got the call uh, yesterday morning um, for giving the message. Mike was, uh, Pastor Mike was scheduled to, to teach uh, this morning, and uh, hopefully he can do that same message next Sunday. But uh, we figured out what to do this morning and um, asked the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct us on where to head this morning. So I, uh, I trust that he's given us some help on this. This is a, I'm going to give a message that I gave um, to a church in uh, Morgantown about four or five years ago. That never gave it here. And as again, as I thought and prayed about it this morning, I thought, oh, this might be a good way to for us to enter into this year, and particularly with the, the level of vulnerability that we do feel. And it, I, I know for us, for the, our family was a, just a very strange Christmas. Very strange. Our, our, most of our kids, uh, actually all of our kids have got COVID, have had it or have it now, and uh, so they weren't with us on Christmas. Our little dog, Ronnie, passed away on Christmas night. And uh, yeah, that was really sad. And um, so it was a strange, just a strange occurrence, but um, uh, certainly not one that was um, completely a surprise, in some ways, a, some ways a relief, but it's still a strange thing to happen over the holidays. Um, but a lot of us are feeling vulnerable. A lot of us are feeling, um, we're struggling. And as David said, here we are, and we thought we were through COVID. We thought we were on the other side of it. And then here comes this next wave, and we wonder, when will it end? When will all this end? And um, I, th this morning, I thought that we could be helped by, by learning how we really can provide comfort for others. And what is a way that each and every one of us can be a conduit of Christ's comfort, a conduit and a vehicle of Christ's healing. And I think one thing that I'd like, I'd hope that all of you, and I think Jesus would want this, for all of you to walk away this, with this morning, is the ministry of comforting one another, the ministry of being a vehicle of healing, the ministry of being able to respond to people with the grace of Christ in their most vulnerable moments. This cannot be an exclusive ministry for pastors and counselors. Let me just say it again. This cannot be for the, for the body of Christ to be what it is supposed to be, for people to be able to flourish, for people to be able to experience the realness of Christ in their loneliness, in their hurting, in their pain, this cannot be only a ministry of pastors and counselors. We are body of Christ. We are a kingdom of priests. This is what is stated over and over again in Revelation. We are a kingdom, a community, a new humanity. And one of the words that Jesus uses to describe this new humanity is we are a kingdom of priests. Now that means two things. One, it means we have immediate 
access to God, just like the priests of the Old Testament did. Again, if you were living in Old Testament times, that would be a phenomenal turn your world upside down truth that you have immediate access to God. But the other thing that it meant is that you were a minister, you were a conduit of Christ's healing to others. You, you, were, the, you were the hands and feet of the Father in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we are now the hands and the feet of Christ. The ministry of healing, the, the ministry of the ministry of responding to people and helping them and being Christ to them in their vulnerable moments cannot just be a ministry for pastors and counselors. If the body of Christ, if people are to experience and flourish and grow as people, as parents, as spouses, as friends, then this is a priesthood that we must all enter into. And so this morning, that's what I'd like to share. Why don't you stand? And for our, our main text this morning, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurings of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Our leaders remember us describing this on a leadership, one of our leadership puddles, and we abstracted two principles from this passage. One, leaders, and for our context here, I want to say really all of us as priests of God, all of us recognize, should recognize that our trials and our suffering are not only just about us. Our trials and our suffering is not just about you. It's also about others in your life. And secondly, secondly, as Christians, as priests before God, as we experience the comfort in Christ in personal and concrete ways, then we can be the presence of Christ to others. This is what Paul is saying in this passage. As we learn to experience in our own suffering, as we learn to experience the comfort of Christ in that suffering, that is what prepares us to be a conduit of healing and a conduit of comfort to others in their own suffering. 
It's what we learn from Christ that we can then translate and be a conduit to others for them to also experience the presence of Christ in what they're going through. I, um, uh, not long ago, I, I gave this message in Mountaineer country, I said Morgantown, and I told my, the, our friends there that I had recently been in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever been to Johnstown, Pennsylvania? Actually, quite a few of you. It's a very interesting and unique place. It's had four, I think, absolutely devastating floods in its history. It's a small coal town. It's an old coal steel town in Pennsylvania. And it sits right in the valley between two huge, very steep mountain ridges. And the, the last one was, well, the one that I remember, the one where I saw the devastation was, I think, 1976. And um, they had 10 inches of rain in about an hour's time. And there was just no way that that valley could hold it. And just the floods are amazing there. But I, I had an aunt and uncle there. And I had my uncle Noah lived there. Yeah, it's true. Now, he was, Uncle Noah was my favorite uncle on my dad's side. He was the emotional leader of the Martin clan. His jokes around the annual, the campfires at the family reunions were legendary. They were so fun and repeated so rapidly that after a while the jokes just blurred into each other and the words just rolled over you like waves and you found you were just laughing continuously. You would never guess his occupation. He was a pastor and a counselor. Imagine that, a comedian pastor. Oxymoron. And what doubled the fun is that he went back and forth with my Uncle Chester who was equally as hilarious and equally self-effacing and was also a pastor. But back to my Uncle Noah's funeral. We were there for his, his funeral. What stood out was what the things that people said about him and the theme that emerged. Noah was emotionally available to people. And my Uncle Noah was emotionally sensitive and he could connect with others at their most vulnerable moments. Some of my most cherished memories of my parents are their responses in my most vulnerable moments. Boy, dogs dying are gonna be a theme here. Like in eighth grade when my dog Mitch, most of you know this where my dog Mitch was run over by the school bus. The school bus that I was riding in. And uh, Mitch had this nasty habit of barking and chasing the school bus when I left. Never forget the look of horror on the bus driver's face when she knew what had happened. She just looked back at me. I was the only person on the bus and she just had this horrible look of distress. But I can still, to this day, I can taste my mother's compassion for me on that day. Her, she was responsive in a vulnerable moment. Or my dad telling a very lonely and confused freshman to give college just a couple more weeks. And then if I want to come home, he'll drive the eight hours to come get me and he'll bring me home. That tender moment gave me strength to continue and to go the entire four years. You know, this week, 
to your TV watching or your movie watching, I want you to add this filter to your, to your intake of TV or movies. I want you to notice how much stories unfold around how people respond to others in their most vulnerable moments. You'll be surprised how many storylines revolve around how people respond to others in their most vulnerable moments. Sometimes they respond so perfectly with just the right words and just the right amount of tenderness and compassion. And other times we find ourselves grimacing in pain as a vulnerable person is ignored or dismissed or shamed even or vilified. Of course, those are the movies, right? And it all seems so clear to us when we are standing outside of the story. But when we are inside the story, it's never quite as clear. Few of us know exactly what to say, and we want to run from the pain of others. I mean, heck, right? We have enough trouble of our own, not trouble running from our own pain let alone running from the pain of somebody else. But if I could say this without creating too much of a downer, realize this, at your funeral, at your funeral, do you know what people will remember about you? They will remember how you responded in their most vulnerable moments. And I want to give you hope this morning because here is the core of this message that by feeling what Jesus felt first, by feeling what Jesus felt and by doing what Jesus did, we, all of us, can compassionately move towards others in their most vulnerable moments. We're going to look at a story from Jesus' life and then break it out to a few practical ideas. I want to help you make progress this morning. I want to say that growing in this is a lifelong journey, but I want to put this on your radar to be this kind of friend, this kind of father, this kind of spouse, this kind of mother, and the kind of church that we can become. Now, we're going to catch this Jesus story midstream. So a little background, a little background to the story. Jesus was very close friends with two women, sisters named Martha and Mary, and they had a brother, Lazarus. And Lazarus was very sick and asked Jesus to come to him. And Jesus here, he's uh, near to the end of his ministry, and they had seen him heal many people. So the, the sisters had a they had a mustard-sized seed faith of what Jesus could do. Now, when Jesus received the news, he did something surprising, something frustrating. He intentionally delayed his trip. He waited a painstaking two days before making the journey. Now, we're not going to see the end of the story this morning. But there's another powerful lesson here. Because Jesus does raise Lazarus from the dead after, being, after he was dead for four days. It is his greatest moment. And it's actually the one that pushes his enemies over the top. 
But let's go back to the story itself. It's John chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Let me read it, and then we'll comment on it. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? What a powerful passage. Praise be to God for it. What is Jesus feeling in the moment? Look at verse 33. There is a phrase used to describe what Jesus is feeling. It is the phrase deeply moved. Now that comes from a single Greek word and many commentators believe the translation here is way too soft because it does not convey the intensity of Jesus' emotions. Now the same Greek word used outside the Bible in the same time period refers this is literal, to the snorting of horses. How many of you saw a horse snorting on the way to church this morning? Probably not too many of you, right? It's not an everyday occurrence. We have to, to, to sort of wrap our heads around it. I, I, I grew up around horses. I, I, did, I, I did. We didn't own them. But I did have a horse for a next-door neighbor named Mr. Ed. Not really. Not really. But, but, but seriously, it's serious on the, not on the name part, but serious that our neighbors actually did own a horse. They were Amish. And their horse was massive. I love that horse. It's a great, large horse. But snorting is something horses do when what? When they are very angry. The word, when applied to human beings, scholars suggest, suggests anger outrage or emotional indignation. In each New Testament use, the word reflects distress on the part of the speaker. One French writer translated it this way about Jesus. He gave way to such distress has made his body tremble. Another scholar translated it, he was outraged and troubled. Jesus is experiencing grief. He's entered into grief. Yet there is something else at work here. Deep emotions have seized Jesus. And again, it's, it's healthy to take a note here that this challenges, right? 
our Sunday school airbrushed, calm and collected, always polite Jesus. Right? There's something happening here inside of him. He's angry. And if he's angry, who is he angry at? He can't be angry at Lazarus. Maybe he is angry at the professional mourners for their pretense of grief. We saw that in another gospel story. Was he angry with Mary and Martha? I'm not quite sure that describes it. He may have been saddened because his sisters, along with others, doubted him. Even at this late date in his ministry, they did not understand him. And they imposed a limitation on him, didn't they? They imposed a limitation on Jesus. Martha had said, if you had only been here, you could have prevented his death. That was a limitation. This was the same Jesus who had said, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. But for Mary and Martha, four days posed an insurmountable obstacle. And to some degree, it must have saddened Jesus. I mean, we too impose our limitations on him. And we, like Mary and Martha, we don't always immediately grasp the implications of his words. Now, there's another possible direction of Jesus's anger. The theme of this is hinted at by John or by Jesus throughout John. And a generation later, the Apostle Paul would spell it out very clearly. But it's clear through the book of John, we grasp that Jesus hates death. Jesus hates death. Did you ever notice he had a nasty habit of interrupting funerals? He was a funeral director's worst nightmare. You know, you know, could he get his money back after the funeral was no longer needed? But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul grasped this as well. In verse 24, he says, then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the, Fa <coughs> to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death. It's an enemy. It's not a friend. We want to soften death. We want to call it a natural rhythm of life. But accepting the finality of death or being inspired by how one dies is not the same as embracing or welcoming death as a good thing. It is a terrible thing. It separates. It destroys. It is the polar opposite of what Jesus says all throughout John. I have come to give you life and to give it to the fullest. Now, when Jesus came to the tomb, he witnessed again the severity of the loss. It's unnaturalness in comparison to his hometown. Think about his hometown. Think about Jesus's hometown, heaven, where death was not even a concept. Death was not even a category. Death was not even present. 
He saw death more clearly than any of us could ever see death. He saw it so acutely, so clearly from that background. He saw death's disruptive power to steal wholeness, peace, and well-being. Complex emotions here made his heart pound. In a moment's time, he seizes or he sizes up death's devastating impact on marriages, families, how it leads to decay, and how it tears us from the fullness of desires that he gives to us. And Jesus, even though he knows the plans of the Father, even though he will create a storybook happy ending, he does not glibly act the part of the con artist who knows but withholds a great secret. He is not the magician coolly waiting to show off his goods. Rather, as a savior of the world, the Lord over life and death, he enters into the gravity of the loss and with great emotion, the Son of God weeps. The Son of God cries. His very presence, his very presence without any words provides comfort to his friends at their most vulnerable moment. His presence provides comfort to his friends without any words at their most vulnerable moment. So the great question to this story is, again, remembering this work of healing, this work of Ministry, this work of bringing comfort, is not just for a few pastors and counselors. It is all of our work. How do we follow Jesus in this? Please get this first. We must try to feel what he felt. We must try to feel what Jesus felt. Do you know the reason that sometimes we say the wrong things to grieving people? It's not as much that the words that we say, sometimes it is, the words that we say are the wrong things, but you know what it is in a more deeper level? That person believes you don't really understand or grasp what they're feeling. Jesus first noticed he, we must feel what he felt. You see, God not only desires to change the patterns of our external behaviors, he also desires to change us from the inside out. And what God does is God uses the spirit of God to get the words of Christ inside of us. And as we think about the pattern of his life and what's really valuable, as we focus on what was important to him, our thoughts begin to change. And as our thoughts change, our values change. And as our values change, we begin to change and we find that we recover what has been lost. We recover an emotional capacity to enter into and to feel the hurts of others. 
here again is what we might say is that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform our thinking. That's where change has to begin. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform our thinking. That, what that does is it transforms our values, what matters, what's important. We let go of stuff that doesn't really matter and we begin to grasp what does matter. And what that does is begins to then transform our attitudes, our emotions, and our actions. You see, Christians so often want to just jump to behaviors. It doesn't work. You end up becoming hypocritical. We want to jump to behaviors and not go through the work of having our minds transformed, which then transforms our values and begins to transform our character so that our behavior is flowing from what's inside of us, not just what we're supposed to do as Christians. This is one reason why the church is in such trouble today and why the church's reputation is at such a low spot because there's so many of us that know what we're supposed to do, but we've never undergone any inner transformation. You know, the big picture of what sin does is sin, sin fragment, fragments us. Sin fragments us. Sin divides us from God and from even ourselves. You know, the, the, the very picture of sin, the idea of sin is that it disintegrates. It, it, we, we fall apart. Sin comes and it divides and it breaks us up so that we literally, our spirit, our souls disintegrate. And part of what is, is lost is the capacity to genuinely mourn, to genuinely feel the pain of others to feel the gravity of their loss. You see, sin makes us essentially narcissists. It makes us self-absorbed. And we can't escape our own shaky worlds to enter into the worlds of others. And if we do enter into their worlds, from this standpoint, we either enter in to take control, to take over, or to shame them into conformity. The result is that is isolation, and it only divides further. And we've missed the opportunity to provide comfort at a person's most vulnerable moments. You see, when we begin to follow Jesus, when the gospel gets inside of us, Jesus begins to integrate us. Sin disintegrates, but, sin, but following Christ brings integration, brings integrity. Our actions match our values, which matches our thinking. We find that we're connected to God. We're connect, we can connect to others. And we're connected to ourselves. We begin to feel alive. We begin to feel again. There builds in us an emotional reservoir of joy and well-being. And with that, the capacity to move into others' lives, not to control, not to shame, but to serve, to bring empathy, to mourn for others. Many people know the Christian words. They know the Christian thing to do, but they lack the underlying feelings, values, that can, feelings and values, 
Sorry about that. Got lost a little bit because I got a little bit ahead of myself. And that's, again, why we have today. This is why we have today a distorted, misshaped, unattractive Jesus in this culture. Practically, what does this mean? Well, as I've said, part of it is learning the words and practices of Christ and the values that lie underneath them. His words paint a picture of what we can become. And the Holy Spirit in us gives us the power to, to move towards that transformation. But it takes time. It does take time. This is because the growing of an emotional well within us is because the growing of an emotional reservoir within us comes only through one primary way. And it's not through book learning. It is through suffering and hardship. And in the middle of your suffering and hardship to do what? Guess what? To experience God with you. To experience the comfort of God himself comforting you, not running from your own vulnerabilities, but facing them, being honest with God about them, and meeting, allowing him to meet you in that moment. This is the fundamental way that we learn to be the presence of Christ to others, by allowing God to be the presence of Christ to us. You know, a lot of us, we honestly view ourselves as modern-day Spartans, Modern-day Spartans. We don't need anybody. We don't need comforted. That's for people with issues. And yet in the Bible's prayer book, the book of Psalms, over and over again, the writer prayed to experience God's comfort. This was not penned by some weak dude with emotional issues. Most of the Psalms are written by David, Israel's greatest king, a military hero, and a warrior. Friends, the reality is, is that life can be brutal, right? Life can be brutal. There's no way around it. Life can be brutal. No matter how strong or self-sufficient you think you are, the human spirit needs solace. And we will seek it until we find it. And you know the old saying, if we don't find it in God, again, we'll find it in something or someone else that will be destructive. But when we learn to find our comfort in God, He begins to change us. And we'll find that in everyday life, we are on the road to becoming better friends, better moms, better husbands, we begin to build a life with margin. We don't have to just be active and busy and want to be in demand all the time. We find that we're able to bring margin into our lives so that we can be available for others. We find that we can be emotionally available for others. We're not so taken up with ourselves. Here's a little acrostic that, that that I thought up that would help us remember, help us remember how to be the presence, the healing presence of Christ to others. And it's with the word feast, F-E-A-S-T, feast. 
And so the question is, is how do we do what Jesus did? Learn to give others a feast. All right. Okay. You ready? Letter F. Focus your attention on the one that's hurting. When you encounter someone that's hurting, focus your attention on them. Have them think at that moment they are the only person in the world. Focus on them. This takes a lot of discipline. We're so used to multitasking. We're so used to having three or four things going on in our minds at once. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is the gift of listening. But to give the gift of listening, you have to turn the other voices off. And that can be so terribly difficult. Even the voices that say to you, you don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? You have no right to do this. You know, a lot of times we can be interacting with a person and have a whole other monologue going on in our minds. You need to turn that voice off, and turn it down, and give that person your full focus for however long it is. It might be 10 minutes, it might be one hour, it might be a couple of hours. But in that time, they are the only other person in the world. Focus. Secondly, engage your whole self. Engage all of you. This is much like the first. That means eye contact. It means turning your body towards them. It means demonstrating to them with eye contact, with your body, with your posture, that they have your full attention. Again, this is something that if you attend a, like a counseling course or attend some lay counseling, these are, these are basic things. But my message to you this morning, this is not just for lay counselors. This is for all of us. Friends, this is how people will remember you. They'll remember how you responded in their most vulnerable moments. Focus. Secondly, engage. Letter A. Here's a big one. This is what's really helped me to enter into uh, and to empathize with another person. And that is to imagine what it would feel like to go through what they're going through. So if they've lost a parent, ask yourself, imagine, what would, how would I feel if I had lost my own parent? Think about what loss they've gone through. Think about what they're grieving and try to imagine what, it would, what you would feel like in that scenario. Now you may, there may be some differences there, and you may have to sort through that. But you're trying to enter in to not feel all that they're feeling, but to try to recognize, to appreciate what that individual is feeling in the moment. And you have to use your imagination for that. S, so F, focus. E, engage. A, ask yourself. Imagine what it would feel like. S, show love physically when it's appropriate. Show love physically. You know, I, I told this story some while back of a, of a scenario where, um, uh, I, I don't want to give names here, but a scenario where a, a, an older woman was sharing her hurts. She was entering into a desperate stage of life, and uh, her husband and her children were sitting around her, and, and, and nobody ever moved. She was weeping. She was crying. She was sharing her story. She was sharing, again, she was entering into this, this excruciating phase of old age, but still conscious enough to sort of be aware of it. And everybody just sat there, just frozen on their seats. Nobody got up and just hugged 
just touched. You know, sometimes it's just that physical moving from your seat, getting up out of your seat, and just appropriately touching a person that can bring the presence and the healing of Christ. So focus, engage, ask, show, and then letter T, remember that it takes time. It takes time. It takes a lot of time to be available for people in their most vulnerable moments. Focus, engage, ask, show, take time. To whom can you give a feast this week? Is there somebody in your world, is there somebody in your life to whom you can give a feast this week? Feeling and then doing provides comfort at at people's most vulnerable moments. Now we can't meet every need, and I certainly today am not challenging us to be be more than we're called to be, right? I'm not asking you to own someone else's problems. I'm not asking you to own someone else's burdens. That's not what this is about. It really isn't. It is about in a certain moment of time providing comfort, doing what you can in that moment to be available to people at their most vulnerable moments. We can't meet every need. We have jobs and responsibilities. You're not being asked to be a superstar in this. Here's what we're asking. In your scope of care, this week, can you stay aware of the emotional worlds of the people around you? Those closest to you, your neighbors, those near to you that are in need. You know, in his blockbuster book on business leadership, Daniel Goldman called it emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is that, that decision, that choice. That I'm, I, I'm seeking to be aware of what's happening in the lives of others. I'm aware of what's, I'm trying to be aware of what's going on emotionally in the lives of others. Jesus said this, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That could invoke, that could mean an awareness of our own emotions, as well as being willing to comfort those that are hurting. You know, for a conclusion, I'd like to ask, what in the story of Jesus surprised you most? What surprised you in the healing of Lazarus? You know, the Greeks, here's one thing that surprises me. The Greeks pictured God as emotionless, isolated. To give yourself, to take the risk of being hurt, in a Greek frame of reference, in a Greek worldview, that simply would have been impossible for a God. Because that would give others power over you, so to speak. But in Jesus, we see a stunningly different picture, don't we? Jesus wept. You know, if human beings were to invent a religion, would it include a God who in weakness could enter so deeply into our sorrows and possess such love for us that our responses would affect him? Our responses. Our responses would affect him. Yes, indeed. I, I preach and I believe that God is self-sufficient. 
That's certainly true. But it is equally true that our responses affect him. He is moved by our praise. He is moved by our betrayals. It says in Jeremiah 13, 17, it says that God wept in secret over the adultery of Israel. Just like you might picture a husband or a wife who's been betrayed to be sobbing in secret. So the prophet said that God hides in a corner, so to speak, weeping in secret over the adultery of Israel. God is moved by our responses. Examine the other religions of the world, friends. Examine the other religions of the world. Their God is not so weak. Their God is not so weak. Islam itself rejects the cross because it means that God gave himself up to die in weakness. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, the great 19th century German philosopher, understood the implications of this. He perceived the weakness in this and therefore believed Christianity to be a disease on culture because of its so-called weakness, because of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness and of loving your enemies. But what we learn learn from this story is that Jesus took our pain very seriously. This is what Isaiah the prophet predicted about Jesus, the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. How many opportunities, friends, have we lost to weep with those who weep? How many times have we been too self-absorbed to enter into someone else's pain? How many times have you trivialized, not taken seriously the pain of someone that you love, a spouse, a child, or a friend? We fail, right? I, I, I have failed. I have failed. I certainly have failed. I certainly many times have been too self-absorbed to capture the pain of someone. Just recently, as a matter of fact, just recently with a very close friend, a very close friend, I failed in this. I failed to understand and to grasp the pain that he was experiencing. And it led to several uh, very hurtful interactions on my part, right? We can be honest about this. We fail. David, you can come on up and Hannah. We failed this, right? Yet there was somebody perfect in it. <laughs> there was somebody perfect in it. Somebody was perfect in this. Somebody was always aware at every moment and was always available. to give comfort at a time of need. Jesus the Christ was perfect in this. Can you imagine that? (laughs) He was perfect. Very emotionally intelligent, very emotionally aware, connected to God, connected to others, connected to himself. He was always ready, and he always entered with compassion and with truth, but he was able to weep 
with those who wept. And friends, that is why Jesus is our perfect substitute. Our perfect substitute. That's why he can exchange his life for ours. That's why we want, like Paul, to be found in his righteousness. Because all of his works and all of his merit, when we become Christians, are placed into our spiritual bank account. He rescues us from ourselves. But as we remember him and remember his life, as we remember his forgiveness, as we worship him, guess what? He will make us more like him. So don't leave this morning feeling overwhelmed with failure. But leave this morning with hope that God is changing you to become more like him and more ready to respond to others in their most vulnerable moments. Let's pray together, and then we're going to take communion. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you knowing that you are the Father of all comfort. You're the God of all mercies. That's what you're known for. The Old Testament creed, so to speak, Father, was that you are a compassionate and merciful God, abounding in loving kindness to a thousand generations. Father, all of us lean into that mercy this morning. We need it. We confess, God, there have been many times We've not been available for others. We've not been there. We pray you change us as a body of believers to be the parent ready, ready to come alongside of a child, to be a spouse ready to come alongside of a suffering spouse, to be a friend to come alongside the suffering of a friend understand the pain and hurt of others. Father, thank you that we learn how to comfort others as we meet you in our own pain. May we learn to run to you, not run from it, but run to you. And Father, equip us then to not run from the pain of others, but to be there, to be available, to be the presence, the healing presence of Christ. Let's go ahead and open your communion cup and take the bread out. Jesus, knowing how much he wants to redeem us on that night, he inaugurated a new covenant, a new promise. And he said, this is my body, broken for and then he held up a cup so this is my blood it represents the forgiveness of sins past 
present, future. Let's take this celebration and remembrance of Jesus and our forgiveness.
communicate them and sing them and pray them, act on them, that there's a, there's a power there. God is working. God is moving. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a Sunday where it seems like we're pulling things together at the last moment. That doesn't matter, right? That doesn't really matter in the end. 
Um, we're not after just creating beautiful services. That's not what this church is about. This church is about a place where we gather and we, 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 we wrap our lives around Jesus and his word. The whole goal of God is to recreate the life and the ministry of Jesus through the church. That is the purpose of the church. He is recreating in our space and time his life and his ministry. And see, when we reach out to one another in our most vulnerable moments, when we reach out to that Afghan refugee, when we reach out to that hurting student, when we reach out to that international who's trying to work their way around, um, the United States is new here. We're recreating the life and the ministry of Jesus. That's what we're doing. It's why we're here. It's why we do what we do. Um, if any of you need prayer this morning, if you're looking at something, an obstacle, a challenge in your relationships or at home or at work or a medical situation, um, I'll be here. There'll be others here. Uh, we would be honored to, to, be able, to be able to pray for you and to pray that the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you in a unique way to bring whatever healing, whatever word, whatever comfort is needed for you in this moment. We're going to try from what, you know, we understand has been said is that looks like we're going to be in for at least a difficult January. Maybe longer, but it looks like this month's going to be a challenge, going to be difficult. And as you, of course, know, a, a lot of members of our church either have COVID or have influenza. So there'll be lots of opportunities for us to serve and to look out and to care for each other, uh, particularly, I think, this next, this, next, um, this next month. We're going to try to stay open as a church. We're going to, uh, that's our disposition. Our orientation is to try to find a way to stay open as long as we can... Uh, at least staff it with meagerly, meagerly staff it. We will stay open as best we can. Uh, again, cross crew, just not sure. We'll see what happens next week. Uh, it's cancellation today. It was a one-week deal, but we'll approach it again and look at uh, all the fresh data this week and, and pray and ask God to help us to know what to do next Sunday. So what I would encourage you to do is just make sure, you know, to read your emails, read the communication, read the text. That will keep you up to date on What's happening? Again, I think it's going to be a, somewhat of a tricky January here until we can get through this most recent, uh, this most recent surge. So let's finish with a blessing and a benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.